Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. Yes, the reading is from Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, They became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, yesterday we witnessed the coronation of King Charles III. Uh, There was this massive procession in London with loads of people crowding the streets as, as King Charles entered Westminster Abbey to be crowned as king and to be seated upon his throne. And this, of course, reminds all of us of a a greater coronation of a greater king, the king of kings. Ever since Peter, in Mark chapter 8, declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the true king, Jesus has set his focus on going to Jerusalem for his coronation, to be crowned king. And so we read in verse 32, Mark chapter 10 and verse 32, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Uh, While the disciples astonished, and while those who are following afraid, Well, they know 
What happens to people who claim to be the Messiah, who claim to be the true king, when they go to Jerusalem? When they go to Jerusalem, they get crucified. That's what happens to wannabe messiahs. And of course, Jesus is well aware of this. It's not like he's, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Uh, we read in verse 32 to verse 34, Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And so Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. He's going to suffer and be killed. But yet he still chooses to go to Jerusalem. He still makes the very deliberate choice to go to Jerusalem. Why? Because this is how he's going to be enthroned as king. He's throne is going to be a cross and his crown is going to be a crown of thorns but why well we told right at the end of the passage in mark chapter 10 and verse 40 uh, 45 for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many this is the central reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to die and to give his life as a ransom for many. Firstly, he gives his life. No one takes his life from him, but he chooses freely to give his life. And then, secondly, he gives his life as a ransom. Now a ransom is what you pay in order to set a slave free. If you, if you want to set a slave free, you have to pay the ransom. And the Bible says that we are all in slavery. We are all in slavery to sin, to evil, and ultimately to death. You see, the world is not the way it should be. The world is upside down, where evil powers and sin and death are ruling. And so Jesus has come to defeat evil and to set us free. And the way he does that is by dying for us. What's the ransom price? His life. His life. You see, it's, it's on the cross that, that Jesus defeats evil and sets us free from sin and evil and death so that we can experience freedom and forgiveness and eternal life. This is how Jesus is enthroned as king. Not by lording it over others, but by serving, not by military might, but by dying, not by power, but by love. And this is how much God loves you. 
that he's prepared to come in the person of Jesus and die for you. If you were the only person in the whole world, Jesus would come and die for you because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. How do the disciples respond? Jesus has just told them that he's going to suffer and die and then three days later rise from the dead. How do they respond? Well, the Zebedee boys, John and James, go, excellent. Can we get the top jobs? I mean, what? Have they not been listening? It's kind of like, imagine someone comes up to you and says that they've entered a marathon. And then they say, the 18th mile is going to kill them. And you gasp. And then they go on and say, but they still hope to end with a respectable time. And you go, whew, okay. So they were just, they didn't mean they would kill them literally, it's just metaphorically. And this is kind of what the disciples are like. They're thinking, when Jesus talks about how he's going to suffer and die, it's like Jesus saying the, the 18th mile is going to kill him. But then he's still going to win the race. Yeah, there are going to be some real hardships and difficulties in Jerusalem, but he's going to be victorious. He's going to be the king. And so on the one hand, this, this is quite a faithful response from them. They go, so James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, what we want you to do, do for us whatever we ask. Carte blanche request, whatever we ask. Jesus doesn't fall for it. Or what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at the left in your glory. The person who sits at the right and the left of the king are the most powerful people in the kingdom. They have the top, top jobs. Let us have the top jobs. Whoops. By the way, when Jesus is enthroned as king, he's enthroned on a cross, and the person to his left and his right are two criminals. How do the disciples respond? Well, they're asking for the top jobs. In one sense, that's a faithful response. It's faithful in the sense that they actually believe Jesus can achieve this, that Jesus is, is, is going to rise. Now, of course, they don't understand exactly what that means. But they understand that somehow Jesus is saying he's still going to win the race. He's going to be triumphant. He's going to be king. And so it's actually a faithful response because they've got faith he's going to do this. <laughs> that for, for them, asking for the top jobs means they have some faith that Jesus is going to be enthroned as king. But on the other hand, it's a complete misunderstanding of what Jesus is coming to do. And they're blinded. Uh, their understanding is clouded by their Jewish expectations. You see, the, the Jews expected the Messiah to come and set up his kingdom through military might. They were expecting Jesus to march into Jerusalem, kick out the Romans, and establish his kingdom, and then rule over the whole world. That was their expectation. 
But for Jesus, Jesus hadn't come for a crown, but for a cross. Of course, Jesus dying wasn't the end of the story, but it was the goal of the story. It was the whole point of the story. Jesus came to die, to give his life as a ransom for many. What about our expectations? Are we sometimes clouded by our own expectations? Do we expect a nice, easy, comfortable life? Do we think, well, I'm a Christian now, and therefore Jesus should sort out all my problems and get rid of all these difficulties and give me an easy life? Well, if that's our expectation, we might be wrong. Because Jesus doesn't promise us an easy life. Rather, he calls us to pick up our cross and follow him. It's a rewarding life, but it's not an easy life. Secondly, they cloud about their own ambition. Soon as Jesus starts talking about this, they immediately are thinking about the time when Jesus is enthroned as king. And so they, 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 they vine for top jobs. Jesus says in verse 38, You do not know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? The cup and the baptism are referring to Jesus' suffering and death. And so Jesus is effectively saying, you, you want to be great. Well, this is how you are great. Not by grabbing and grasping for power, but by giving up power through suffering and dying. Not by grabbing a crown, but by picking up a cross and following me. They reply in verse 39, we can. How naive. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. Unknowing to them, James would eventually die for his faith. And John would suffer because of his faith. But to sit at, at my right or my left is not for me to grow. And these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When Jesus is enthroned, it's a thief and a criminal on his two sides. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Why did they become indignant? Because they too wanted the top jobs. <laughs> Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, that's the kings of the foreign nations, lorded over them, and their higher officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Take note that Jesus actually doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He, he doesn't rebuke them. See, Jesus does not reject greatness. He redefines greatness. He shows them what true greatness is. And he does so by contrasting worldly greatness with true greatness. 
Worldly greatness is all about being like a king and, and lording it over other people, having authority and power over other people. And so it's all about you. And having people serve you, attend you, worship you. And so you need to get as much money and status and power and influence as you possibly can so that you can become great. And, and, and our human nature loves that. <laughs> we love that worldly greatness, that idea of, of having some kind of power and influence over other people. Now, most of us don't have positions of great power and authority, but sometimes, we, and, and on occasions, we, we find ourselves in a powerful position, uh, and we can, t we can tell people what to do, and we love it. I mean, we, I'll give you an example. We go to a restaurant, and all of a sudden, we become king. And our, our waiter becomes our servant. I want this, and I want that, and I want it now. This is cold. Send that back. Go call your manager. And we just kind of inwardly love that feeling of, of, of power, of being treated with respect. Being treated, in other words, being treated like a king. And you can treat someone else like a servant. And Jesus says, don't be like that. That's not true Greatness. True greatness is simply service. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And, and, and everything within us, everything within our culture and everything, you know, all our ambitions want, want to be anything but a servant. But that's the essence of true greatness. And when we embrace this true greatness, we suddenly will start treating everyone differently. Even the, the waiter uh, or employees or everyone. We will start treating them as fellow image bearers of God. And even as they serve us, we will serve them with respect, and generosity, and kindness. You see, Jesus could have lived like royalty his whole life. He could have been living in a palace, eating caviar, drinking champagne his whole life. But he chose to humble himself, to be born and growing up in Nazareth to become a carpenter, to wash his disciples' feet, and then ultimately to die for us. And that's true greatness. So how great are you? How good are you at serving others? A couple of questions. Do you allow others to serve you? People often say, well, I don't like to be served. Th that's pride. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. But he also allowed a woman to wash his feet with her hair. And another woman to anoint his head. Sometimes we can serve others by allowing them to serve us. 
Secondly, do you serve others with selfless motives? Have you ever said, they never even sent me a thank you card? They never said thank you? I've been doing this for years and no one's even noticed? Ah, so it's all about you and your glory. There will be times in life when you should have been thanked and acknowledged, and you won't. You won't be. Those are wonderful opportunities for your true character to be revealed. Do you get frustrated, angry, irritable, resentful, and quit? Or do you say, it's not about me, it's about God. It's not about my recognition, my reward, and my status, but it's about God. I'm doing this because I love God. I'm doing this because I love Jesus and I love people. And it's because of the love of Jesus that I want to serve people. Do you serve others with selfless motives? And then are you prepared to do menial tasks? Not the upfront stuff, but the, the behind-the-scenes tasks that no one sees. The, the thankless tasks, the, 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 the you know, putting out tables, serving coffee, uh, you know, kids' ministry, all the other behind-the-scenes stuff that happens in church that no one sees, that the trustees and others do. Or you're only prepared to do upfront things that get immediate recognition. Or you're simply not prepared to do anything. You're just here to receive. It's so easy to fall into worldly greatness. Uh, to, to be seeking your own reward, recognition, and status. To, to make a name for you. To be a name for yourself. To, to be a renowned preacher. World-renowned preacher. <laughs> That's not true greatness. As someone who preaches and does upfront ministry, this is something I have to be on guard for. What is my real motivation? It's easy to say, oh, I'm doing this for God, but or am I doing it for recognition, status, and reward? Now, there's nothing wrong with recognition. We need recognition. We need encouragement. But that mustn't be our goal. A goal needs to be serving others sacrificially because we love God and we love people. And when we serve others sacrificially, they may not say thank you. They may not even know your name. But Jesus will look at you and smile and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. That's my motivation. What's yours? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this time of coronation, it just highlights the real contrast of you being the servant king 
in contrast to all other forms of power and leadership and greatness. And Father, when we think that you of all should have merely lorded it over others and could have so easily have just flexed your muscles, but yet you chose to come in weakness rather than grasping for power and a crown, you surrendered power. And you came in love. And you left us an example. And Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us and enable us to pick up our cross and follow you. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website abgavenibaptist.co.uk